over the word tonight, Father. Thank you for the word of the Lord that lodges deeply within our spirit. We receive the word with meekness and we rejoice, Lord God, at this wonderful, wonderful book of 1 John. And we thank you now for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now remember, you know, John is an older gentleman at this particular time. He's like a grandfather uh, to those that are uh, his children, if you will, in the faith his sons and daughters in the faith. And he is writing some things that are just absolutely awesome. Uh, for example, we looked at 1 John chapter 1. He says, my little children. He talks to them like he's their children. And he says, look, he says, we were there. I've handled of the word of life. I have seen him. Amen. And he is real and he is alive today. The apostle John was, was I believe, the apostle of love. And so you're going to see the theme throughout the book of John is the love of God. And so let's look at 1 John 3.16, if you would. I'll be taking glasses on and off tonight. It says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because He laid down His life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now we ended the last time I had a midweek service by saying this. That the selfish life is the empty life. The selfish life is the empty life. And the selfish life is the miserable life. But the giving life is the fulfilling life. The giving life is the fulfilling life. And we talked a little bit about... Um, the fact that when you do lay down your lives as a Christian for one another, it's not out of guilt, it's not out of condemnation, and it's certainly not done in a spirit of sorrow. You will find this, that when a person says, look, you know, I would gladly spend and be spent for you, it's always out of an attitude of faith. It's always out of an attitude of joy. In other words, the attitude would be, glad to do it. Glad to be here for you in this difficult time, in this difficult hour. And so always remember that when it gets over into the treadmill of works and when it gets over into violins and, oh, you know, I'm bearing the burden and, and you know, all that stuff, just mark it down. That's not the Spirit of God. That is religion. Now, don't misunderstand me. Now, when you are laying down your life for the brethren... When you are sacrificially giving, there may be a little ouch to it. But the benefit and the blessing far outweighs that. Because how many of you know God sees and He repays? And it is true that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So we want to make certain then that we are sowing good seeds and right seeds. Now... How do we do this? I mean, how does this become practical in our lives? And just a couple of thoughts. We don't want to spend much more time on this particular area. But how do we keep this love command? Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And we'll look at verse 9 and verse 10. Romans 12, verse 9 and 10. It says, Let love be without dissimulation. Or I suppose that could mean hypocrisy, I'm not sure. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Now verse 10. 
be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor. Now notice this statement, preferring one another. One of the ways that we can keep this love command is by preferring our brother and preferring our sister. Look the word prefer up. The word prefer means to go before or to lead in showing the difference. If I am preferring you, I am deferring to you in a certain area. And it can be even in the area, well, what would you like to eat or where would you like to go or what would you like to do? And uh, it's always good to honor your brother and sister by showing preference and deference to them. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, we notice this in verses 1 through, I think, verse 6. He says, If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. Everyone say joy. joy. He says, That should be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Now notice this. But in loneliness of mind, in each, uh, in, in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now that doesn't mean that you get clothed with woe is me and I'm worthy as a worm because you know me and you know the word. We are not old sinners anymore. I'm not a sinner. Now I have sinned. Amen. Since I've been a Christian. But that's what 1 John 1 9 is for. Amen. And uh, so some people like to, you know, put themselves down and, and, oh, you know, and defer and all that stuff. It's not talking about that. You ought to have a very high opinion of yourself and who you are in Christ. Now, I know that in the realm of the flesh, our righteousness is his filthy rags. But he gave up his life for us. And he put his robe of righteousness on him. And so, being secure, being confident in who you are, enables you to esteem your brother. Enables you to rejoice when your brother rejoices. It enables you to... To help shoulder perhaps a difficulty that they're going through. So let each then esteem others better than himself. Now notice the next verse. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Amen. So love prefers the brethren. Here's another thought about the love of God. Love covers. Love covers. I said love covers. Look with me, if you would, please, to 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Now, the word cover means to hinder the knowledge of a thing. To hinder the knowledge of a thing. And 1 Peter 4, 8 says, And above all things, have fervent charity or love among yourselves. For charity, what will it do? 
it'll cover the multitude of sins. Now, that doesn't mean when a person sins and violates something that impacts a lot of people. That doesn't mean that you just sweep that under the rug. That doesn't mean that, you know, you put a person back in a position of responsibility before he or she is ready to. Amen. Because there's accountability in the body of Christ. But what this scripture is talking about is we ought not to help the knowledge of something like that going out and abroad beyond our sphere of influence that would bring defamation and disgrace to the kingdom of God. Amen? We ought not to rejoice when a brother or sister misses it. But we ought to be the repairers of the breach. The restore of paths to dwell in. Because my God is a restoring God. I've seen Him do it again and again and again. So one thing you don't want to do, you don't want to be quick to expose other people's sins. That's a no-no in the Bible. Now listen to what one commentator says about this. This is very interesting. One commentator said, How would you like your sins to be exposed? He said this, For love will cover a multitude of sins. Love does cover a multitude of sins. Both, now listen, both the sins of the one loving and the sins of the one who's being loved. Another person says, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians. Many small offenses and even large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts about to Satan's delight. Now I believe this, folks. We ought not ought to major on the minors. We ought not to gather ourselves around a person that has sinned and kick them. Jesus never kicks people when they're down. But rather, Jesus lifts them up. And then he does make it very clear, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Be made whole. Now, don't take this to the extreme where you're being conned by a mate. Well, you know, the Bible says that that love covers and you catch him looking at pornography. No, that needs to be exposed, not necessarily to the whole body, but that needs to be exposed for the benefit of the one that's a pornographer. Yes, amen. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. <laughs> well, God's forgiven me and, you know, let's go on. No, because there is a root there. There's a stronghold there that needs to be dealt with. Are you listening to me? Yeah. Well, you know, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. And yeah, but we are responsible. So I don't believe there's any cons in here. I'm pretty sure there's not. Let me see. No, I don't think. 
But just in case, don't be a con. All right, look at verse 17, verse 18. Everybody doing okay with the air? All right, good. That's a miracle. It took a miracle. First John three seventeen and eighteen. It's good just to feed on the word, isn't it? Verse seventeen and eighteen. It said, "Whoever has this world's good and sees his brother has need, and shut up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him?" My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but how? So then we see that we are to be doers of the love of God. What do you mean be a doer of the love of God? Well, love is patient. So instead of being impatient, practice patience. Love endures long. Love is kind. So if we're going to love in word and in deed, we're going to practice the love of God. We're going to practice being kind to the unkind. We're going to practice being loving to the unloving. We are going to practice being gracious to everyone around us. So if the love of God, and it does, not for, you know, if the love of God forgives, then we ought to be forgiving. Quick to forgive. Quick to let offenses drop. Not harboring resentments. You know, when something is harbored in the San Francisco Bay, it's there. How long is it there for? Well, it's there as long as, you know, the next time it goes out. Well, how long can resentment be harbored in a person's life? As long as we let it. How long can bitterness be harbored in a person's life? For decades. And the sad part of it is this is bitterness will bite you sooner or later if it's not dealt with. The Scripture says that a root of bitterness can spring up and trouble us, therefore cause our lives to be defiled or corrupted. So let's not love just in word. Let's not get into this sloppy agape. You know, brother, I love you. Hallelujah. You know, and... Just putting on our agape face at church. What about walking in love outside the walls? Practicing the love of God. And you will find that in this walk of love, you're going to have some failures. Just like I've had some failures. But don't quit. I said don't quit. Don't give up. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. It can be nurtured. It can grow. And it can develop. So let's read verse 18 together real strong. My little children, let us not, go ahead and read with me. Let us not love in word or deed or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And then let's look at verse 19 to 21. We see here now the assurance that love brings. It says, hereby we know that we are of the truth or of the word. And she'll assure our hearts before Him. In other words, we're going to have greater confidence in life, greater assurance in life, 
the more steady we are in our love walk. The word rendered confidence stood in ancient Greece for the most valued right of a citizen of a free state. The right to speak his mind, unhampered by fear or shame. And I'm telling you, there is confidence, there is boldness that walking in the truth and walking in the love of God will bring into your life. The Bible says that there is no fear in love. But fully matured, developed love casts out all fear. <coughs> it turns it outdoors. It puts it on the run. Amen. So, we see then that there is a confidence, that there is a boldness, that there is an assurance that we have when we're walking in love. You just become more sure-footed. I don't know about you, but anytime I've gotten in strife, it just brings all sorts of weird stuff to me. Anytime I've gotten into strife, there's confusion. And it's according to James 3, it says where strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. One preacher says this, that strife is the manifest presence of the enemy. Well, I don't want the enemy manifesting himself in my life. I've had enough of that turkey. He's robbed enough. He's stolen enough. He's killed enough. And the Bible says that the love of God, everyone say it real strong, the love of God. It is shed abroad. It's in my heart. It's being developed. It's growing. And I'm getting stronger in the love of God. And therefore, I never fail. Because love never fails. I am in God. God is love. And He is in me. I boldly declare, I never fail. How would you like to have a zero failure in your life? Walk in, tend to the love of God. This is probably the biggest battle that word Christians face. Is developing and walking in love. The principles of faith, once you get a hold of them, dear brothers and sisters, the faith of God will work. But we understand this, that faith worketh by what? By the love of God. And you look at the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, you know, my giving is ineffective if it's not done in the right motive. Mm -hmm. He said, I can prophesy, I can have the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge and revelation gifts. But if it doesn't come out of the bedrock motivation of the love of God, it's nothing. Amen. So we're walking in love. And love covers. And love prefers a brother or sister. You know, love speaks kindly to people. Love speaks words of encouragement to folks. Love just smiles sometimes. You know, the world's a gloomy place. Now, you've got to make sure who you're smiling at doesn't have the wrong idea of why you're smiling at them. Because the world is perverted in that way, too. Amen. But, you know, there's just tons of people out there that just, I mean, they could just use a kind word. There's tons of people out there that could just use a, a smile. Amen. And that's who we are. Love brings blessing into people's life. Love gives. 
Thank God for the receiving power of God. Thank God for the harvest and the reaping. I believe in it. But Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. How many of you have ever just given to someone that was down and out? Or you knew that they were up against the ropes and you came along with a bag of groceries? Or you came along with a word in season, a word of encouragement? Or you came along with a $10 bill or a $20 bill and it just lit their life up? Friends, love gives. Say it with me. Love gives. And I give. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This love is shed abroad in our heart. Now notice verse 22 through verse 24. Verse 22 says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. So this love walk, then it does affect our prayer life. Because we keep His commandments. And do those things that are what? Pleasing in His sight. And then look at verse 23 and verse 24. Verse 23 says, And this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Verse 24. And he that keepeth His commandments dwells in Him. And He in Him. And hereby we know that He abides in us by the Spirit that He has given us. So do you see the principle of assurance? Do you see the principle of confidence? Good. Now let's go to chapter 4. Chapter 4. And we're going to go just a little into this tonight. You know, we're going to teach maybe 15 more, 20 more minutes. But put your ears on. Put your ears on. There's some really good meat here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit. But try the spirits, or test the spirits, whether they are of God or whether they are of love. And then he deals again with false prophets. He said, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus is come in the flesh... Is what? Is God. Now going back to verse 1, we see here then that the fact of false prophets and the need to test the spirit they're operating in is in our lap. It's in the body of Christ's lap. Now, you do not have to judge a person, but you can judge what they're saying. You don't have to get judgmental about a person, but you can certainly know them by their fruits. I don't know if you hear Pastor Mark tonight. But you can know people's ministries. You can know a brother. You can know a sister by their fruits. In other words, what's their past track record? If everywhere they go, they cause trouble, and then all of a sudden they're on the scene in your church, It could be a wolf. It could be someone sent by Satan to devour the flock. How do I know the real from the unreal? One way that you can know them is by their fruits. What is their lifestyle saying? What is their track record? Amen. 
You know, as a minister, oftentimes people come to the church and they declare right up front that they have the office of the prophet. I had one lady tell me what I should preach on for a full year. And, you know, I just made sure I did that. But she doesn't attend here anymore. By their fruits. Amen. You shall know them. And how are you going to know between air and truth? You've got the Holy Ghost. You've got the Spirit of Truth. You've got the One who raised Jesus from the dead on your side. You've got a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. You don't have to spend time studying cults and studying counterfeit truth. You spend time in the B-I-B-L-E. You'll get so full of the light of God and the truth will set you free that immediately when you hear something that's off, you'll just know it down there. You'll know it by the unction on the inside of you. Amen. <laughs> Woo! All right. Stay focused here now, brother. Now, many, when first accounting or encountering the reality of the spirit world, are too impressed. And amazed, you know, by people that come down the pike that have dramatic prophecies or dramatic clothing or they're very charismatic. It's important that we test these spirits. Dear me, dear brothers and sisters, in 1988, someone wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And 2008 just passed a couple years ago. I better not meddle tonight now. It's important to test these spirits. Amen. And not just of prophets, but of pastors. Of one another. Are you recognizing the anointing? Are you recognizing the life of God and the love of God? Who is supposed to test the spirits? Well, in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, the Bible says, let the others judge. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 20 and 21, it says, test all things. <coughs> Hold fast that which is good. So testing the spirits is the work of the body of Christ. And all prophecy is to be judged and judged by the word. And I said it earlier, I'll say it again. It's never to be received just because it's dramatic or given by a certain person. Amen. You see, the Bible says that there's no prophecy that is a private interpretation. Now, how do you identify? Again, we're not judging people, but we have the ability to judge what's being said. You can judge what's being said tonight and preached tonight by, is what Pastor Mark is teaching, does it line up with the Word? 
is what so-and-so has prophesied about Jesus coming back in 2010, January 3rd. Is that scriptural? Now, one way you're going to know the real from the false is ask yourself, do their prophecies come to pass? Do they come to pass? Does it line up with the word? Is it scriptural? And here's another important one. Turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if you would, quickly. Here's another important one. Does it glorify the master? Come on, somebody. Does it, does it bring Christ to people? Or does it bring man to people? Does it give glory to God? Is Jesus the center piece and the focus of the prophecy? Now notice, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we look at uh, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 4. He said now here, follow after charity or love and desire spiritual gifts. We ought to desire spiritual gifts. I tell you, for every false one, there's ten real ones. For every prophecy that's been off the wall, there's ones that have hit the word. And so we got to desire spiritual gifts. But rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. However, in the spirit, what does he do? Now here's another telltale way to judge prophecy. Verse 3. He that prophesieth, now notice, here's are the characteristics of this. He that prophesies speaketh unto men for three things. Number one, for edification. Ask yourself, have I been built up? When the word is going forth, have I been built up or am I just bummed out? When a prophetic utterance goes forth, is it edifying? Is it building you up? Amen. And then the second characteristic is exhortation. The word exhort means to draw near. When a person is speaking by the Spirit of God, there will always be an element of encouragement there. And there will always be an element of exhortation to draw people closer with God and to move on in the things of God. And then there will always be comfort Oh, the comfort I've received from just the simple gift of prophecy in manifestation in church services. Not necessarily given by me or Brenda, but just someone had a word from the Lord. <coughs> and that word from the Lord <clears throat> was exactly what I needed to hear. And that's the way we ought to come to church. Expecting God to speak to us. He can speak to us in so many different ways. He can do it through the word. He can do it through song. Mm -hmm. He can do it through prophecy. And so we see then that there's this element of edification. There's this element of exhortation and comfort. Now we'll go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let's look at the first few verses of that particular chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1. It says here, Now concerning spiritual gifts. Now, 
I have learned that the word spiritual gifts literally means now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. If you will look at the entire chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you will see that everything in that chapter is concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. He talks about the manifestations of the Spirit. He talks about the body of Christ. Amen? And then he talks about the ministry gifts. So he says, now concerning things, spiritual gifts, I would not have you to be ignorant. God doesn't want us to be ignorant where spiritual gifts are concerned. As a matter of fact, in this church, we need to come up a few notches. We need to be believing more for the manifestation of the Spirit. And yielding more to the manifestation of the Spirit. And having an atmosphere full of the gifts of the Spirit. Amen. And so he says... Brothers, sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant. You see, the gifts of the Spirit are for today. They're for this place. They're for hungry hearts. But what causes ignorance? A lack of knowledge. And as long as there is a lack of knowledge about the gifts of the Spirit, how can you believe for it? You know, you hear the pastor try to pump people up. Let's expect the glory. Let's expect the glory. Well, what does the glory look like? So he doesn't want us to be ignorant. Uh And faith comes by what? Faith comes by what? And hearing by the word of God. My spiritual dad told us when we were young in the Lord, he said, if I pastored a church, I would teach on faith at least once a week. Now he said that doesn't necessarily mean that you teach on faith every Sunday morning, the subject of faith. But he says, you ought to have some classes. There ought to be some teaching constantly on the subject of faith. Now, you will notice in our services, woven throughout the fabric of our messages and woven throughout the fabric of the Word of God is faith. When there is a spirit of faith in a place, it just cannot help but come out. And the spirit of faith can be caught. Now, When it comes to the gifts and manifestations of the Spirit, He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So I believe that we need to teach on the gifts. I said, I believe we need to teach on the gifts. And the gifts of the Spirit ought to be taught, not ought to be taught in a classroom to two or three people. But the whole body needs to learn about the gifts. And be able to recognize them when they're in manifestation. Now notice me in verse 2. Didn't know I was going there, but this is good. He says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols even as you were led. The biggest problem with the Gentiles is they couldn't stay out of idolatry. Their lives were spawned in an atmosphere of idolatry. Idolatry. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, He says, wherefore, I give you to understand. Everyone say understand. Understand. Say understand two more times. Understand. Understand. He said, now, here's what I want you to get. That no man, no preacher, no teacher, no lay person out witnessing on the street. That no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. 
And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by what? But by the Holy Ghost. Now look with me in verse 4. He goes on to say, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now I want you to look at verse 3 through a few different translations. So if you would pull up the amplified version of verse 3. No man speaking by the Spirit of God can ever say that Jesus is cursed. And no man can really say that Jesus is my Lord except under the power and influence of the Spirit. Now let's look at the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation of verse 3 of chapter 12. The gifts of the Spirit are for us today. And we need to bring it up a notch. Notice with me in the New Living Translation, he says, So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So we see and understand there that a person that would curse Jesus, really a person that is not living their life for God and only in the ministry or in the kingdom of God for profit is really bringing a curse to the kingdom of God. But that ain't us. Now let's go back to 1 John chapter 4 and let's look at verses 2, 3, and 4 and we'll wind her up. So does it line up with the Word? Does it glorify Christ? Does it come to pass? Does it edify? Does it exhort? Does it comfort? Notice me in verse 3 of 1 John chapter uh, 2. Actually, verse 2, excuse me. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. It says, Hereby know we the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus has come in the flesh is what? Is of God. It glorifies God. Okay? Verse 3. And every spirit that doesn't confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And we talked about this already. But what kind of a spirit is that? Anti means against. Anti means opposite. So, when a person is not operating out of the spirit of the living God... Oftentimes they're offering, offering under a spirit of anti-anointing. Amen. He says, wherefore you have heard that it should come. And even now already is in the world. Is there not a spirit of antichrist in the world? But we're not centering, on, centering in on the antichrist. We're centering in on the Christ. We're not here to bring glory to the enemy. We're here to bring glory to the, the Spirit of the living God. We're here to profess and confess boldly over the Bay Area that Jesus Christ is alive and that He is Lord. Amen. And not only that, but you know what? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a miracle-working God. He can cause the deaf to hear. He can, talk, he can cause debts to be forgiven. He can turn things around. As surely as Jesus sits on the throne, He can turn your situation around. Amen. And you know what He's looking for? He's looking for faith. He's looking for simple, childlike faith. Yeah, but I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to cemetery. I didn't go to Bible school. You don't have to go to Bible school to open this Bible. 
You don't have to go to Bible school for the Holy Ghost to reveal truth to you. Bible school is a good thing as you're led by the Spirit to go. Amen. Notice this now. He says, in this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come. Even now already it is in the world. Antichrist is already here. There's so many stinking things out there that are opposite of the Christ. And we don't want to even give them the time of day. And then the Antichrist himself is going to surface one of these days. Someday, somehow, someone's going to get it right. People have been predicting who the Antichrist is for years. They thought it was Hitler. They thought it was Mussolini. They thought it was Marx. But all those ones are dead. But as sure as we sit here tonight, he's going to come on the scene. But you know what? We'll probably be out of here. I said, we'll probably be out of here. So all we got to do right now is deal with these little nickel and dime Antichrist spirits. Amen. And 1 John chapter 4, 4 brings it home to us tonight. Let's look at this. He says, you, but hey, you. We're, that's not talking about you. You're not of that Antichrist spirit. You're not of the world. Your genealogy, you are of God. That's who I am. That's who you are, Richard. We are of God. We are of God. We are of God. We are of love. We are of light. We are of life. You are of God. Little children, John's talking. And have overcome them. You've already overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now why is that? Because, say it, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Stand up, everybody. And let's make a confession tonight. Over the word that we have heard this evening. Say it with me. The greater one dwells within me. I'm not afraid of any demonic forces. I'm not afraid of anyone or anything in this world system that is anti, opposite of the Spirit of Christ. Because I'm born of God. And I've got an unction on the inside of me. The anointing, you see, abides in me richly. All those other forces have already been overcome. Now I rise up in faith. And I rise up in authority. And I trample on serpents and scorpions. I walk on the spirit of Antichrist. Because the devil is a defeated foe and he's under my feet. I'm of God. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's the truth. That is the truth. That is the truth. And it's the truth. It's so the truth. Amen. And maybe tonight you have not yet had the privilege of, in, of inviting this greater one into your life.